I'm Nita, and you're listening to Slaying in Real Life. This week, we're covering Season 1 of Buffy the Vampire Slayer, Episode 8, Angel. After our recap, we will get into a true crime case inspired by the episode. In Angel, we open on the Master's Cave. He ruminates on the loss of so many of his family members to the Slayer. Colin, the Anointed One, is being tutored by the Master, and he uses this as a lesson. The Master sends the three after the Slayer, a group of uber-powerful vampires. The unsuspecting Slayer is at the bronze with Willow, boy-talking and experiencing the pre-fumigation party with her friends. On the way home, the three finds her, and Angel saves her just in time. He's hurt in the process, and Buffy brings him home to patch back up. The three is a biblical reference to the Gaborim of the Book of Samuel. They were said to be great warriors, able to kill 800 in a single encounter. Buffy doesn't defeat them, but the Master does allow Darla to kill the three for failing at their mission. Angel comes inside, but isn't sure it's a good idea, and Buffy flirts with him regardless. She is rudely interrupted by her mom coming home from work. Buffy tells her that Angel is tutoring her and pretends to say goodnight to him. Instead, he agrees to stay the night just to be safe. This is where Angel becomes an even shadier character. All we know about him so far is that he's gorgeous, flaky, and fights demons. We also have eyeballs and can see that he holds his own in a fight and is much older than B. Why is he staying there? It's not cute to have to make the decision to hide in a closet as a grown-ass man. The next day, Willow is very impressed that Angel was a gentleman and Xander is appropriately horrified. They learn that the vampire gang was the three and Buffy must be a threat to the master if he sent such a high level of vampire after her. Buffy sneaks Angel some plateless dinner, where he finally tries to leave, vagues up the situation with implied chemistry, and then they kiss. It takes them both by surprise, made even more surprising by the realization that Angel is a vampire. Buffy's horrified and Giles tracks down his backstory. Angel was a big-time demon before traveling to America 80 years ago, where he has become dormant. It's later explained in a cutscene between the Master and Darla. We find out that Darla and Angel were an item in the day, and she's pissed that he's interested in the enemy. She tracks him down and taunts him, wanting the Master to help her get him back into the evil fold. In this scene with Angel, it's important to point out that he's still living on human blood. He has his stolen blood in the fridge. As Buffy and Angel grow closer, he switches to animal blood to make himself more pure and able to be around blood to fight next to B. During a fruitless study session, Buffy and Willow snatch a moment to be regular teens. Buffy admits the kiss with Angel was incredible, and she was worried that she felt too much for him to have to kill him. Willow tells Buffy that she fantasizes Xander will kiss her someday, something Buffy encourages her to just do and find out about once and for all. Darla spies on them, getting enough info to target her home while she's out. Darla concocts a plan, going to Buffy's house and pretending to be another tutor. There she feeds on Joyce and Angel finds them. This makes Joyce the first main character to be bitten by a vampire. Darla throws Joyce's bloodied body at Angel, trying to tempt him. That's exactly when Buffy walks into the room, and she thinks that he is the one who bit her in the first place. At the hospital, Joyce is confused and meets the Scooby gang for the first time. Giles talks with her and realizes too late that the friend there that night that attacked her wasn't Angel, but Darla. Buffy goes after him, wanting the truth. Angel tells her that he's a monster and that he wanted to kill her. He also told her that he had a gypsy curse placed on him that gave him back his soul. This makes him relive all of his evil, this time with a conscience. Angel no longer feeds on humans. Buffy forgives him, and Darla has to step in once again. Buffy thinks she's a badass, but Darla brought a gun, asserting her dominance once again. Instead of falling back in love with her, 
Angel kills Darla, his sire. The master is enraged. Darla was one of his very favorites and longest companionships. The killing of another vampire is a big deal. The loss of her is huge to the master effort, and I was sad to see her go so quickly. Darla was so smart. She's very underrated. She and Angel were the master's right hands at one point and supposed to inherit the underworld. In the end, Buffy decides that Angel is good. He resisted temptation. He is an Angelus. He's Angel. But he's still very much coming into himself as well. He's still trying to figure out how to be good. They decide they're not supposed to be together, but they kiss and it definitely doesn't feel over. They know what they would have in another life. She makes him feel like a man, and maybe she's another way for him to punish himself. For our true crime case this week, I kept coming back to the idea of a bad boyfriend. That's the stereotype, right? The husband always did it. But what if this assumption is what leads to another life being stolen? On January 13, 1999, Heyman Lee was expected to pick up her younger cousin from daycare at 3.15 p.m. When she didn't show up, her family was immediately worried. By 6 p.m., her family called the police to report her missing. Hay was last seen at 2.15 as school ended. Her best friend Deborah said goodbye to her, saying she was in a hurry to pick up her niece and meet her new boyfriend, Dawn. Before leaving the parking lot, Inez Butler Hendricks saw her park her car, still running, and jump out to grab a snack at the concession stand before leaving. She was alone in the car. When she failed to pick up her younger cousin, people began looking for her, calling around. That night, there was a huge ice storm and many houses were without power. Hay's mother began calling everyone she could think of, including her daughter's friends. No one had seen her, despite the huge community efforts to locate her. When Hay missed her friend's birthday party, everyone's worry became fear. No matter what, she wouldn't have missed something like this. The Korean community worked together in order to send as many men as they could to do the search efforts, while women held down the forts at their businesses. They supported the Lee family wholeheartedly and wanted to remain sure that Hay was what was the most important aspect of the investigation. Four weeks later, on February 9th, Lee's body was found in Leakin Park. She was killed by manual strangulation and laying in a shallow grave. She was found by a guy named Alonzo Sellers, who was known to streak around in the woods. He told the police that he saw the body when he was looking for somewhere to pee. Unfortunately, there is very little evidence at the crime scene and the police didn't have a lot to work with but they did finally have Hay. Hay was born in South Korea in 1980 and immigrated with her mom and brother to the United States in 1992 when she was 12. They lived with her grandparents outside the city of Baltimore. She was very smart and attended a magnet program at Woodlawn High School. Unfortunately, her new school was one of the toughest in the area. Despite that, she worked hard and was an incredible student. Hay also played lacrosse, field hockey, and co-managed the wrestling team. Hay was part of a very close friend group, mostly made up of the students within that magnet program. They spent so much time together and dated within their friend group. Hay fell in love with her friend, son of fellow immigrant, Adnan. They understood the struggle of the dynamic and the need for secrecy. They were sexually active and broke up and made up multiple times. Hay wanted to escape from her packed home environment, and her sadness was something that she showed Adnan. She confided in him and her friends that she had been abused while living in Korea. This was something that she was still dealing with and recovering from emotionally. From Hay's diary entries and the recollections of the parties involved, it was such a typical high school romance that began and ended at two different dances spanning eight months. At the second dance, Adnan's family found out that he had taken a girl to homecoming despite not being allowed to date. His family showed up to the dance and made him come home, embarrassing both of them. Ultimately, Hay was over the drama that was dealing with Syed's family and when it came to them being together. It was such a big deal to his mom and Adnan understood. 
Hay regretted losing herself in the relationship and felt humiliated by how much his parents disapproved of their match. They got over it and went on with their friendship, still hanging out in the same group. They remained friends. Adnan was excited about being a senior and was seeing other girls. Hay moved on to dating an older co-worker of hers from Langscrafters named Dawn. She did mention in her diary that she felt conflicted about caring about the both of them at one point. Adnan worried that she had started dating Dawn before officially ending their relationship. Hay's friends didn't really approve of Dawn because he was 23 and Hay was only 18 and still in school. Despite the awkwardness in the beginning, Adnan stood by his friend and even showed up to help Dawn fix Hay's car when she was having trouble with it. Let's look at the days before she disappeared, the same way that podcasters and investigators began to. January 12th, the day before, Hay spent time at her new boyfriend Dawn's house. They had been dating for around two weeks at this time. She left around 10.30 p.m., got in trouble for breaking curfew when she came home at 11.30 p.m. It took this long for her to drive from the two houses. She and Dawn then talked until 3 a.m., taking a small break at 12.35 a.m. for Adnan to give her his new phone number. The next day, the last day she was seen, school started at 7.15 a.m., and Hayes' first class was French. She was a TA for Miss Schwab, and even planned on attending a trip to France with her club in June. Around the same time as her photography class, her friend Debbie recalls their mutual friend Adnan asking for a ride that afternoon, and she said sure. During psychology class, Hay tells her friend Aisha that something came up and she now had plans right after school. At 12.20, Hay, Debbie, Aisha, and Adnan ran into each other in front of the guidance counselor's office. Hay told Adnan that plans had changed and he said that he would find someone else. She said goodbye and she went to her car. Inez says that she saw her at the concession stand where she brought hot fries, but these were never found in her car, which carried everything else for this busy teenager. She never picked up her cousin from school that day, and she never turned up for her scheduled shift at Lens Crafters, which was to be from 6 p.m. to 10 p.m. All of her friends were shocked and they mourned together. She was remembered as joyful and full of love. On February 12th, attention shifted to Adnan Sayed when an anonymous call came in suggesting they look into him. Adnan's French teacher remembered asking Hay's best friend Deborah to ask around the places Hay and Adnan went, and it upset Adnan, whose parents hated him dating. He didn't understand why he was being looked at when he and Hay were no longer an item. He didn't want to get in trouble for a past relationship. When Adnan was first interviewed, he seemed more nervous about his dad finding out how involved he was with girls and that he had been in cars with them. He didn't take the murder accusations very seriously. In his family's culture, spending time with girls unsupervised was seen as very disrespectful to his parents. It was also a popular thing to do in his culture, and peers of his age tend to bend these rules and essentially just live the two lives. His parents finding out about his indiscretions and having to acknowledge them in a public way was incredibly humiliating for all of them. Don was also a suspect, but he had an alibi. Apparently, he was working at the time, and his manager testified to that. His manager did happen to be his mom, though. Strangely, where he was supposed to work was an area of the lab he had never worked in before, and no one saw him there, despite what the schedule said. It was supposed to be his day off initially, and Hay told her best friend that they were to see each other that night. The cops couldn't reach him the night of Hay's disappearance until 1.30 a.m. Why didn't he worry? She was supposed to meet him at the mall. 
He wasn't even formally interviewed for three weeks, allowing all physical evidence to degrade, not making it possible to observe through an interview. With Don ruled out, so to speak, Adnan was arrested on February 28th and charged with first-degree murder. The mosque community came out and supported Adnan. The date of the disappearance was significant to a religious holiday, and Adnan was seen bringing food to his father that night. He was then said to have stayed for evening prayers and to break his fast. This show of support was twisted by the prosecutor and allowed her to hold him without bail. She defamed the community by saying he was issuing a passport, saying these 80 people weren't just present at the mosque that day. They were 80 people that were willing to lie. The community and high school students were led to believe that they had DNA evidence linking Adnan to the case, and they were also led to believe that Pakistani Muslims were prone to honor killing their partners and then fleeing back to Pakistan. On March 12th, Woodlawn High School students gathered to honor their friend. They invited Hay's family to their gymnasium and shared stories, music, and photos of Heyman Lee. The athletic director remembered that there were no words to describe her smile. She was prone to breaking out into song, something that always made everyone laugh because she sang so off-key. Her lacrosse and field jersey were retired in her name, and her mother, Young Kim, grandmother, Young Kim, were represented with plaques from her teams. Her grandfather comforted her younger brother, Young Lee, who was only 16. The school planned to plant two trees in the girl's honor, wanting to show the impression she left on their lives. A cherry tree in front of the school and an evergreen behind the school, where she liked to relax with her friends after a tough practice. In a touching moment, one of her friends shared an email that Lee sent her when she was going through another friend's car accident. Lee told her that she had lost a friend and that her friends were her salvation. Listen, if you were born, you were meant to die. Of course, no one deserves to die so soon. It's okay to be in pain and be sad. Just don't let death, sadness, madness rule your life. Hearing those words gave me goosebumps. Despite a lot of relief that the killer had been arrested in the community's eyes, the Sayed family was telling a different story. The defense believed that they had a good case. His attorney was well known and there was no physical evidence linking Adnan to the murder. The first trial with lawyer Christina Gutierrez ended in mistrial after three days when an argument broke out and a judge accused her of lying and the jury overheard. The second trial lasted six weeks. On February 25th, the jury found Sayed guilty of first-degree murder, kidnapping, false imprisonment, and robbery. Sayed's family immediately fired Gutierrez. Most of the guilt was due to 34 calls found on a call log that supposedly showed that Adnan was in the area during when the crime would have been committed. The state's case was based on their star witness's testimony, Jay Wilds. He confessed to helping Adnan bury Hay after Adnan killed her and needed help burying the body. Why Jay? Well, it was his girlfriend Stephanie's birthday and Adnan was best friends with her. Jay didn't have a car, so Adnan let him his cell phone and car to pick up a gift. This might seem weird, but think about when this took place in the 90s. Not everybody had access to a cell phone and a car, and sharing this with your friend group was not very strange at all. In his first confession, he said that Adnan called him to come to Edmonton Street and showed him Hay's body in the trunk of her car. Later, he said it was the Best Buy parking lot, and this is the story that they went with at trial. On the stand, Jay admits to lying on the stand, gave seven different locations. He was unreliable, and there were huge details to be unsure about. He says that they ditched the car in a parking lot, then he took Adnan back to school for track practice. From there, he went to his friend Jen's house to wait for Adnan's call. Once he had that, they later on retrieved her car to bury her in Lincoln Park. He admits to helping dig the hole, but did not admit to helping bury Hay. 
Later on, Jay calls his friend Jen to pick him up and help him get rid of the evidence. He wanted to wipe fingerprints off his shovels and dispose of his bloody clothes of the murder he was not involved in. Jen say that Jay left at 3.30 p.m. and that later on that night, she picked up Jay from the mall. Jay said it was his house that he was picked up from. Jen didn't call the cops because she was dealing drugs at the time and didn't want to involve herself in a situation that could put her, her in jail as well. At 6 p.m. that night, Jay also was to have brought a very stone Adnan to his friend Christie's house, and he was worried about being too high and getting a call from the cops about Hay being missing. The state gave the motive of Adnan's broken heart and called it an honor killing. Jay was originally a suspect before becoming the star witness with his own lawyer paid for by the prosecution. Not all of his interviews were recorded, and the first official interview isn't taped. The first interview that is taped isn't until February 28th, even though he missed work to speak with the police on the dates the 20th through the 23rd, and then again on the 26th. That was all untaped. In fact, Jay's testimony does nothing but corroborate the cell phone records, when even that doesn't make any sense. And what would give him the motive to hide anything? Well, Adnan actually dated his girlfriend Stephanie a long time ago, and recently they were voted homecoming queen and king. Jay was a dealer as well, and Adnan was a smart kid who spent every day with his girl. The day Hay was murdered, Jay was made to look bad when he forgot Stephanie's birthday present, but Adnan didn't. There's also the alternate theory that Jay was the anonymous tipper, giving the cops Adnan's name in order to receive the $3,000 payout from Crime Stoppers. If this tip was tracked down as the only lead, he might have to defend that amount of money he would receive and wasn't put in jail for dealing by cooperating. Adnan has his own account of what he could remember from the night in question, but it was six weeks before he was asked about it. He remembers bringing food to his father at the mosque and then staying for prayer until 10. At this time of the year, it's significant to Muslims in his community as Ramadan. The results of the second trial were heartbreaking. Adnan was convicted of first-degree murder, implying that he had intent and premeditated this act. He was given life plus 30 years. The judge said that it wasn't an accident, and the jury only took two hours to come back with their verdict. Jay walked away a free man with only two years probation. He led a life of crime and had domestic abuse charges filed against him. He even had a charge for abusing a police officer. Adnan's first appeal in 2003 was unsuccessful. For 14 years, nothing happened until Adnan's family friend, Rabiat Chaudhry, contracted Sarah Koenig and she created the Serial Podcast. DNA testing in 2014 excluded Adnan from any of the evidence found on Hay's body. This was done by the Innocence Project, who became interested after the Serial Podcast brought public interest back to the case. The podcast brought another idea into public opinion, the Asia Alibi Letter. This letter was written by Asia McLean. It was a clear memory of her for her because of the context. The day that Hay went missing, there's a 15-minute window where the murder was supposed to have taken place, according to the state. During this time period, Asia remembers talking to Adnan in the library before being picked up by her boyfriend. She wasn't sure if it was relevant, but she wanted to help. When Adnan was arrested, Asia went to his house to talk to him and gave the letters that she wrote to his lawyers. She was never interviewed. Adnan was given a second appeal based on bad counsel because Gutierrez never investigated the letter from Asia. It wasn't just seen as not important, it was completely disregarded. Never calling a witness is insane. The second appeal isn't until he has already been in prison for 17 years. There are some other issues that bear another look into the case. The state's timeline makes no sense. 
If you want an incredibly detailed look into that, don't miss the Undisclosed podcast. Hayes' trunk was never tested to see if she indeed was in the trunk for many hours, but it's also impossible that she was in a crunched position for that amount of time after her death. Lividity is when the blood settles after death, giving an insight to the body position near the time of death. According to the state, Lee was buried about four hours after her death, but lividity suggests that she was face down to eight to 12 hours before the burial. It's completely possible that the time of death is bullshit, making the timeline of the cell phone records a moot point. 12 samples were taken from Hay, but not tested until the Innocent Project became involved years later. The state loves saying that Adnan's print was found in the car, but it was a palm print on an atlas. This statement was usually followed with, DNA was found, but never within the context of DNA that was found and linked to Adnan. No, it was DNA that wasn't even tested. 17 years after the original case, Undisclosed found another groundbreaking clue into the case. A fax cover sheet was found that was meant to go along with cell phone records with the warning that only outgoing calls were to be located and reliable for locations. Only incoming calls were considered in this case. The state's expert from the first case later recanted their testimony due to this. Jurors from a second trial were later interviewed and said that the cell phone records were pivotal to their guilty vote. They trusted the evidence that they were given. Don, Hayes' boyfriend from way back when, just got even creepier as time went on. He contacted Deborah, Hayes' best friend, and they struck up a relationship. They met briefly and dated before she broke it off when he expressed sexual interest in her that she did not reciprocate. He was disabled at 23 and has a wife and kids now and is off the radar. Christy and Jen's testimony were also not without flaws. They believe the events in their statements happened the night that Hay was killed. However, Christy was supposed to be in class that day and didn't miss it. It was the exact time Adnan and Jay were supposed to have been there acting suspicious. Lee's family is still convinced of his guilt. I keep coming back to this over and over as I finish this episode. If Adnan is innocent, someone was never punished for taking the life of Heyman Lee. Her truth was silenced and her family will be left with the pieces. In 2019, Adnan won his second appeal and was given a new trial hearing. His conviction was overturned in the process. This was a huge win because of the cell phone issue and deficient counsel. In the second trial, the prosecutor is former attorney general who is taking on the case pro bono. The state thought this whole situation with the podcast being able to manipulate public opinion to this degree as a slight from the public and they wanted to write it. In the new trial, the defense again thought that they had a strong case. They had the conflicting statements from the first trial, no time of death to be proven, and Asia's testimony was enough to give reasonable doubt in their opinion. Adnan is so desperate to be out of prison that he is willing to take the right plea deal, something his family disagrees with because it alters his honor. The state had a choice to appeal, offer a plea deal, or do a whole new trial. They decided to file an appeal, which is hard to win. This is exhausting for the defense team and the family. The prosecutor Thine was running for office and doing the high-profile case as part of his state attorney campaign. He was competing with S.A. Ivan Bates, who has made it clear that he plans to exonerate Adnan completely and reopen the case to find the true killer, if elected. The chief M.E. looked at the first autopsy and saw that the autopsy does not support the state's timeline. Time of death was probably later on that night, making the alibi and Asia statement unimportant. There were also weird diamond impressions on Hay that could have been part of concrete shoes. This actually leads back up to Alonzo Sellers, who lives off the grid and was also five minutes from the school. After the first appeal, the state ran down the time again. The victim's family was fighting the process, believing that Adnan was guilty. 
The plea deal that they offer is four years and a guilty plea. The guilty plea is where he decides to draw the line as well. He turns it down and he takes his chances. Adnan's view of this are, you can't have my freedom and my innocence. In 2019, after 20 years in prison, Adnan is denied a new trial, four to three, because Asia's alibi wouldn't have made a difference. Which I agree with, I guess. Asia's alibi is a moot point because Hay couldn't have been with Adnan at the time. She wasn't buried that night and her story isn't being told. I don't see how this doesn't exonerate him in the same way. Adnan's lawyers are not done yet. Cases like this are honestly a little bit intimidating to try to cover. On one hand, I love the idea that public opinion can make so much of a difference. When used for positive messages, imagine the power behind that kind of movement. On the other hand, if Adnan was guilty, the family is having to relive this for the vanity of internet sleuths. I feel like the only trade-off is making myself vulnerable in the same way by offering my view and being called out for it. I don't think Adnan is guilty, and I don't think that Jay knew anything about the murder. I think that Don is a shady character. I think it's crap that his shaky alibi was never investigated further. Adnan was punished for being Muslim, and this pitted the Asian and Muslim community against each other during such a tragedy. Also, another murder took place around the same time and was somehow never fully looked into. On February 6, 1999, cadaver dogs were brought into Woodland High School as a possible connection to the Jada Lambert disappearance that happened six months before Hay. She was also found dumped in Lincoln Park. Her killer was found and proven by DNA to be Roy Davis. And I'm not just throwing this name out there. The errand that Hay needed to run could have been depositing an outstanding paycheck into her account, which only had $8 in it. The ATM closest to her location at school was across the street from where Roy Davis was living at the time. I think that this is something that we are going to find out the truth about soon, simply because people like me and you are still asking questions. Heyman Lee deserves her truth. Okay, that's it for today. This case is layered and twisty turny, and other podcasters who have followed the case for years definitely need their due credit. So don't forget to check out the case notes and deep dive into this one on your own. I would love to hear your theories. If you liked what you heard today, you can find me on Instagram and at nitaferris.com and at Patreon, where you will find bonus material as well. Next week, we'll be covering episode 9 of Buffy the Vampire Slayer. I, Robot, you, Jane. And as always, a true crime case inspired by the episode. Can you guess what it is?